This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday, the 21st of July, 2021. And some weeks ago, Norman, Sydney and Surrounds went into lockdown and there was discussion at the time that they took a bit of a while to get to that point, whereas yesterday we saw South Australia, the entire state, go into lockdown over just a handful of cases. Why isn't there a single set of criteria that we see state governments applying when it comes to pulling the trigger on lockdown? Well, it's a very good question, which I'm sure the Australian public are asking too. So you've got two extremes here, a very hair trigger in South Australia, a more firm trigger in terms of more resistant trigger, if you like, in Victoria, and um, and a very stiff trigger in New South Wales, if you were just to interpret the time it's taken to go into lockdown. And I think people are confused by it. And I think it's a combination of, uh, it's hard to know what it is. It's a combination of public expectations, politics and epidemiological advice and fear. Right. So I guess on the epidemiological advice side of things, there's different health systems in those states. We heard for a long time that New South Wales had this gold standard contact tracing and that if they if the contact tracers could just stay a step of the head of the virus, then they'd be able to track it down without needing to lock everyone down. They obviously got to the stage where that wasn't possible anymore. Yes. And of course, that's the other factor that um, you have to factor in here is what what resourcing do you have? Uh, What capacity do you have to chase down the virus and how confident are you in that? And it may be that in some states they're not as confident as maybe they should be. Um, There's pretty good contact tracers in most states now. And that's the other factor that uh, is involved. So we know that the Delta variant is much more infectious than the ancestral virus and previous variants that have come along in the past. Is contact tracing still a tool that can exist on its own when it comes to Delta? Yes, it has to be the first line here um, in terms of having a surveillance system which picks up people um, as early as possible in the course of their infection. And remember what we're dealing with here, not just with Delta, but with all the, all the SARS-CoV-2 viruses, ver- versions of them, is asymptomatic infection, is that you're infectious when you don't have symptoms or you have such mild symptoms that you don't notice that you've got an infection. That's what's turned this into a pandemic and that, that's where the devil is and that's what scares people. It's scared people all along and you've now got a far more infectious virus where people are spreading and possibly the time from... This is the one virus we've contradicted ourselves in the past on this, where we said, oh, this new variant, the alpha variant, is infecting people unprecedentedly fast. And it's turned out not to be true. It's often in the early stages of a of an outbreak you, with a new variant you think it is, but it isn't. But it turns out with um, this variant, Delta, it is turning out to be infectious from the time you caught it to the time you transmit it. In one, at least one instance in Victoria, it's 29 hours. So that's really, uh, that's a very short space of time to find, to find it out. But if you've got a good contact tracing system, isolation and an effective process for following this through, you should be able to c- control it. And the question is, at what point do you pull the trigger and say, we've got to actually just really nail this down? And it's likely that Queensland and Victoria have kind of kind of got the right place for this at the moment, which is they're just seeing it beginning to spread. They can see areas of concern like the MCG. I think if it hadn't been for the MCG and the Amy Stadium or Amy Park, 
I'm not sure that Victoria would have gone quite as early as it did. It might still have gone, but it might have been two or three days later. But I think what scared Victoria was the MCG. They knew that this was going to be a, a real problem for them, as, as Amy did as well. So, it, you know, it's, circ- it's circumstances as well, it's super spreading events. Okay, so then once we figure out someone, well, the way we figure out that someone has COVID is by doing a test. And the irony is that when we're in an outbreak situation, those tests, those testing systems get even more stretched and the, the wait time to get those results back take even longer. And we talked about this at length yesterday, Norman, about whether there's a place for, alongside this PCR testing, which is the current, it's the gold standard for testing for COVID and it's the current main way that we test for COVID here in Australia, whether we need to also be including a new tool in that armoury of rapid antigen testing. Yes. And just to be clear, we keep on getting uh, comments into CoronaCast. One from Southwest Sydney, my, my husband had a test on Friday, still waiting on Tuesday for the result. He's a doctor in Southwest Sydney, can't return to work because he has no result and so on and so forth. So the issue is, Um, overburdened testing systems, long time to get results. People are confined to their homes when they've got essential occupations. Is there a way of doing this better? And it also goes to the Delta variant story. Is there a way of actually doing surveillance so that you've actually got more of um, an idea of what's going on and you you risk manage high spreading events even when you think there's no virus around? So uh, yesterday I did two interviews with people overseas who've done studies of rapid antigen testing. I want to get to the bottom of it. One of the people I spoke to was Professor Ian Buchan, who is Executive Dean of Population Health at the University of Liverpool in the UK, the northwest of England. And what they've been doing is a Liverpool-wide study um, which has been screening people and testing people using rapid antigen testings and, uh, testing and PCR. And what they did, just going back to this person who's the doctor, they've actually saved in their pilot 3,200 staff days. In other words, people who would otherwise been furloughed, um, but who were negative on the rapid antigen testing. It's a risk-managed approach. And what they found is of value. And now they're using it in first responders to actually screen them on a regular basis. The other person I interviewed was uh, Professor Associate Professor Rebecca Smith of the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, who has compared saliva PCR to nasal PCR to rapid antigen testing and found that they are all as good as each other at finding people when they're at their most infectious. What she's also found is that if you do it every two days, rapid antigen testing is as accurate as the other two tests. So again, it's got a place. And I know I'm repeating what we said in yesterday's CoronaCast, but the place could be for opening up the economy for a bit sooner. For example, construction workers. You could have a testing regime, and this is what they're suggesting in Liverpool, is that you have a testing regime, which is you get the rapid antigen testing, you arrive at your work site, or you do it somewhere before you travel, and if you're negative, you get to work with a mask on, and that r- radically reduces your chance of being, particularly if you're doing it every day, of being infectious on the site. The odd person may slip through, but the risk is radically reduced. You do it for healthcare workers, you do it for aged care workers. And when we get this Delta variant under control, you do it at high spreading events. You add 10 or 15 bucks onto the price of a ticket, and you have an outer circle, and you don't get into the event unless you've got a negative rapid antigen test. That would radically reduce the risk that somebody's highly infectious going into that environment. And because the Delta variant is producing large amounts of virus, it's pro- probable that the rapid antigen testing becomes more uh, becomes more accurate even so. So it, 
it's not a replacement. PCR remains the workhorse, but the um, you might be able to unload the system and make our system safer by using it. That's the argument from the people I've spoken to overseas. Would that get New South Wales out of lockdown more quickly? The hypothesis would be that you could open up parts of the economy. People who are struggling and need to get back to work, for example, on construction sites, you could actually say you're going to have rapid antigen tests every day. And that's pretty cheap for the construction business to pay for that, or even the government to pay for that. It's $10 a test rather than $100 a test. And it radically reduces the risk on the construction site. So in other words, you don't get on the construction site without a helmet and boots on and proper clothing. You don't get on without a negative rapid antigen test, which you find the answer within 15 or 30 minutes. So, Norman, some questions from our audience today, and this is one that was something that we talked a lot about last year and really haven't heard so much about this year, is uh, deep cleaning. seems that deep cleaning has been virtually ineffective as transmission does not generally occur in that way, this person asks. I wonder why we persist in carrying it out. Well, it's a good question, and if you talk to some epidemiologists in this area, I don't think there's a universal agreement is that it's very rare to pick it up from surfaces and deep cleaning may actually be um, a waste of time, according to some, not according to others. And I don't think it's been properly tested. And a question from regional Tasmania who's saying, how can you consult your GP about vaccines if you don't have a GP? You can't afford one because they're not bulk billing. You can't get an appointment. You don't have a Medicare card or you have mobility issues. And this shows up the disparity in uh, relying on general practice because certain groups miss out and we've said this many times on CoronaCast, is that relying on GPs to roll out the vaccine is great. Um, relying on pharmacy is, is good too as a supplement. But you've got to be careful that you're covering both disadvantaged groups and groups that don't normally access general practice. And you've got to have a solution for that. And that's a big gap because we could find ourselves in a situation where the overall numbers look great, 60, 70, 80% of the population covered, but it's 95% of people in Indrupilly or Nedlands or Vaucluse or Turak, but it's 40% of people who are living in poorer suburbs with poorer access to care or in regional centres where there's no bulk billing. There's virtually no bulk billing in Australia outside major metropolitan areas. So that's a huge access issue. If you have a question, send us a message at abc.net.au slash coronacast. And we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>